Welcome to the 10th year of the Coach Joe Beer Multisport Podcast for triathletes, duathletes, sportive riders, road racers, time trialists, runners, mountain bikers and fitness enthusiasts. Supported by no-pin suppliers of cycling, running, triathlon, duathlon, aero clothing and custom kit. Speed pockets now in two versions, ATS trip suits and trip socks. Visit nopins.com. And supported by southforkracing.co.uk for all your biking needs with great brands such as Scott, Infocrank, Garmin, GoPro, Challenge, Tax, Lightweight, Beat It, Powerbar, and many, many more. Visit southforkracing.co.uk. Whatever your distance and whatever your event, this podcast aims to make you smarter and faster. Okay, so welcome to this 145th episode Ooh. for Easter 2016. I'm Coach Joe Beer and I'm joined today by Crocker of South Fork Racing at South Fork Racing. Hello. Hello. Happy Easter to you, Joe. Happy Easter to you. Are we allowed to say Easter yet? I guess we are. This is coming out just after Easter, so oh. it already, so already have been. Hopefully everybody's had a happy Easter. Yes, hopefully. We've got questions tonight on aerobic training. We've got it on periodization. We've got it on keeping fitness to do with uh, subsequent um, seasons one after another. And I think we've just got one come through to do with uh, sprint triathlons as well. One come through on text. So we will crack on straight away into the questions. And the first one actually came via the at Coach Joe Beer Twitter feed. And it was from Chris Hill, who's at the real CJ Hill. And sent this through, and it was quite simple, really. He said, afternoon, Joe. Um, do one-hour aerobic bike sessions achieve any gains, or do they need to be longer? Um, great question, because really succinct, but I think really relevant, because lots of people work in one-hours. They, they always sort of work in a one-hour chunk, you know, one-hour swim sessions, but that's often because they book a lane. One-hour... Um, you know, one hour lunch break. So, oh, I've got just enough time to squeeze something in. But uh, I think it's quite it's quite obvious that the body just doesn't work in one hour chunks. So uh, aerobic. Yeah. So really, aer- so aerobic session. So he's on about stuff anywhere from you know fifty five, sixty percent of heart rate max up to eighty um, percent of heart rate max. So in the aerobic zone, do they achieve any gains, or do they need to be longer? I think you'd be surprised the number of people that do that, and they do it as perhaps a commute or um, a steady lunchtime session, or they can just squeeze in a bit of time. And I think they're super productive. And I've never seen anything say you've got to, you know, if you're doing aerobic, it's got to be of a certain duration. And lots of people get by and say, oh, my longer ride is, you know, because he's on about specifically asked about bike sessions. But yeah, my longer ride is, let's say, perhaps um, two or three hours at the weekend, but I can only fit in chunks in the week. And I think the biggest mistake is to say, I've only got one hour. Do you know what? I better go hard, which... You can't do that too many times in a week before you say there's just too many hard sessions. Well, I think also with the hour, if you have got one hour um, and it is very specific, then that hour is normally quite good quality. 
from that point of view because oh, yeah. you only yeah. have an hour you know you don't yeah. have two hours so you don't oh, I have a little gradual warm up and then I kind mm. of yeah. do make it up in between and then my last hour is, is yeah. spent kind yeah. of thrashing the pedals or, or, or doing something you know very um, exact whereas if you've got an hour you have an hour but then do you think the temptation in that hour is to go too hard yeah and yeah. I think also not to not to take into account you still need to warm up so from whatever from whatever status you've started which normally is you know sitting down or moving around or just got back from work or whatever it is you've still got to warm up into it and I like particularly if you're in a bike uh, indoor scenario you could do it perhaps if you're on a running treadmill is to start an easy pace and then use the electronics the power system the speed on a treadmill um, the um, pace per 500 on a rowing machine use that to gradually take yourself up over 10 to 12 minutes of gradually taking your heart rate up because it's not wasted time and it's not like oh I'll get less done if I do that you've got to warm your body into the session and then, yeah, you stay aerobic and how much you can get done in that hour. If you're talking aerobic, how much you can get done is is dependent on somebody's fitness level. But yeah, you're right. When you are indoors, and I presume some of the times he's indoors and some of the times he's outside, you can at least be precise, keep your legs constantly pedaling. There's no braking required. I would see those sort of time efficient sessions Meaning you don't have to, if you are indoors, you don't have to put that much kit on and be up and running. It would be a good idea to use rollers sometimes because you have to be engaged in balance. But he just says, actually, one hour aerobic sessions, which may mean going outside, but sometimes it can be a bit too much time by the time you've yeah, got get all, all of this stuff on, you realise that actually it's, it's taken me, you know, no less than 10 minutes just to get everything on and ready. Whereas if you had a turbo trainer and it was still an hour and it wasn't, uh, I, I see the reason why some people like to get outside because perhaps they would need a bit of stress reduction. They want to go somewhere nicer than looking at the, uh, you know, back end of a garage or, um, or the you know inside of a shed or the inside of a of a conservatory, they'd rather go out and do it. And I get that. That's for reasons that aren't just aerobic. But I think there's lots of reasons, Chris, why you do you do get gains. The only reason why it might need to be longer is if your goal is longer. Then at some point you've got to go beyond an hour because your body's just not used to um, firing the muscles for long periods. And I, I think also if you are pushed for time, I'm. I mean, Joe, Joe will correct me if I'm wrong, I suppose, but I'm, I'm of the, the view that, you know, something is better than nothing. So in case of going, oh, I've only got an hour, I don't think it's really worth me, I don't think it's worth me doing this session. You know, it, an hour actually is, is ample mm. for some of the sessions that, that, <clears throat> that people want to do, especially if you're pushed with time, whether that be work, um, whether that be family, um, you know, uh, Sometimes I, I kind of, on a training day, I just, you don't have enough time or more. You think you have more time, you get home and go, oh, I haven't. Yeah. So, you know, it's quite handy for hopping on a, a turbo trainer or a set of rollers and, and doing a little session on there. Um, or just, I mean, an, an hour's run, really, from the minute you get in, get changed, get your kit on, yeah. get your shoes on, out the door, could be yeah. the space of 10 minutes, you've still got 50 minutes to run. So Yeah, and it, um, does, it does depend on what, like you say, what he, what... Um, within the week, what are you what are you trying to do? Not every hour should be there for an aerobic hour, or should only ever teach your body one hour aerobic chunks. That said, if you look at and I'll tweet a picture of 
was a training diary from one or two elite runners. Okay, you're talking biking, but it's not too dissimilar in terms of the theory of training. And they've got, you know, morning, uh, 35-minute run. Lunchtime might be accelerations. Evening, another 35-minute run. Other days, you know, hour steady run, PM, hour 20 with some accelerations. But there's lots of instances of things that aren't even approaching an hour, they are because of the pace that they're going at aerobic as far as that athlete's concerned. But you, I, and most people listening, it wouldn't be an aerobic run. They would at least be at threshold or in some cases be running faster than they've ever run in their life. So what you can get done in an hour is already determined by who is it that you're talking about doing that hour. So thinking about the range of clients, I've got some people that even steady state could definitely do in an hour in zone one more than other people can race for an hour. So the person with the bigger engine, the person training aerobically, but just at certainly cycling terms at higher wattage will just get more done than you or I would do if we sat on there and said, right, you're going to treat it as a one hour time trial. You've already warmed up separately. Yeah. Go as hard as you can for one hour. We would still not beat, in wattage terms, what some people can do in zone one for one hour. So, of course, that one hour that Chris is talking about is still limited on what you can potentially do. And if your time trial on the bike, one hour effort, is the most you can ever do in an hour, then you're not going to be able to do that continuously for training because that's the most you can put out anyway. Mm. And... If you get up and running and you're at least at 60% heart rate, that will be a certain wattage. And most aerobic sessions are quite close to that lower end. But it's not a bad thing to say, well, if I have got these one-hour sessions, sometimes I do want to warm up for 20 minutes, do a 20-minute flat-out CP20 test, you know, see how hard you can go for 20 minutes and then cool down. Or you do a roller session with different drills. Or you do... Um, I don't know whether he's a pure bike or whether he's a triathlete. If he's a triathlete, he might do bike run, bike run and do it as a series of bricks. But you do get gains from these shorter sessions that are aerobic. And I think at least the beauty of cycling is you can do one hour and not notice it. And why the elite runners do it in chunks is that they can't just run big chunks of time without getting fatigued. Yeah. So they yeah, think of 40-ish, 45 minutes as a long time. They don't run in chunks of an hour because an hour is too long for them to land on their feet. Think about it. At the elite male level, that's 20 kilometres. I should say you cover a fair distance yeah. in an hour. So they, you, they yeah. do, so they actually don't need to go for that long because they can cruise, you know, 10K in, you know, 30 low 30s you know cruise 10k in under 35 minutes so they go up 35 minute run they've done a 10k and that's aerobic so you can do that twice in a day do 20k's worth of running and only actually be on the feet for 70 minutes but on a long run day maybe run for you know hour 30 with feeding and tempo work etc in it so it it does depend on the sport and what you're trying to do in that hour but do they achieve gains? Yes, they do. Do you need to extend them? Well, it depends on your goal. If your goal is a lot longer than an hour, then yes, you have to use other sessions to extend the time you're on the bike, but you cannot cram a two-hour endurance road ride into a one-hour session. 
And that's what I think the fear is, is when you've got less time, I just try and get as much done as possible. And then you'll spend an awful lot of time in zone two. You're better to treat some days as easy aerobic and other days, right, warm up 15 to 20 minutes and then do, you know, four, five, even six four-minute intervals flat out, recover between them for perhaps three, four minutes and then do it again. Flat out, flat out, flat out. So you get that stimulus that's different again but what you could do for four minutes you couldn't do for an hour so you're still doing something completely different and as long as all your one hour sessions chris are not the same you should be able to get a multitude of different um types of stimuli and there's nothing better than doing the right session and going well that's in my plan that's what i needed to do today it's easy oh blimey tomorrow i've got to try and see if i can you know hold I don't know, 350 watts for 10 minutes or whatever the, the numbers are. And for each person, that's different. So stick people side by side and you can't train everybody the same. Some people will sit there and you, they'll blow up after 10 minutes. They won't make an hour. Other people are like, well, do you want me to the top of zone one yet? And that's the difference in. And of course, you can't therefore all get an hour's worth of training of equal amount. And, and I think sometimes, I mean, a lot of people I can imagine are very similar to, my, to myself in my train of thought where... To you know, say uh, Wednesday's a training day. You you for some reason work over runs or something's cropped up that took longer than you thought it would, um, and then you can't. You think you can't get your your two hour session in. You do exactly the same as what Joe has just said. Is you either go and bash that hour for as hard as you, which you wouldn't be able to do anyway, mm. thinking oh I'll cram it all in. I'll cram my two hour uh, session into one hour, or you just look at it and go well look. You know, I can shift the training plan uh, across a couple of days, or you know, shift it around, and uh, and then see if um, you know, see if I can, you know, do this hour, do it, you know, because if you can squeeze it in, then it's going to be it's going to be well worth doing. So yeah, so that was a good question, actually. Yeah, because it's quite simple, but it, but it's. It's surprising how pe- how many people work in one hour units, and of course, doesn't sound like it's much. Well put it in the bigger context it might not be clearly enough for you to do a 50 mile time trial and it won't be your hardest session because you've said the word aerobic but if you see it in the context that not every session can be the same and not every session can be that wonderful three and a half hour perfect long ride that you like to do so everything has got its place and if you understand that you're getting gains from it even at an aerobic level aerobically you know even if you have a lower fitness-ish level, you might be able to do 150 watts. Well, you're sat down right now listening to this podcast, those that are sat down that are not commuting or doing whatever, but um, somebody the other day said um, they do their deep water running with this in their oh, ears yes. <laughs> through a through a set of... Megaphones? No, not megaphones. No. Yeah, Bluetooth, Bluetooth headphones okay. from the iPad phone that's on the side in a waterproof pocket it's like wow great idea um anyway different people will be doing different sessions if you sat down you're using about 15 watts as we are right now so if you go up to 150 watts you're doing 10 times the oxygen turnover than if you're sat down so is that hour worth it of course it is you're shifting 10 times the amount of oxygen through your body um so and I like think you it said, it's, <clears throat> it's a stimulus as well isn't it yeah you know that the, the kind of the body and even if it's even if you then have to opt, think, oh, I've done a fair bit actually this week anyway, so I'm kind of happy I've only got an hour because mm. I'll just have a, a little recovery ride mm. or a recovery run or a recovery swim. Or you um, might be able to ride with somebody else that, you know, you consider an easy ride, but 
but for them it's nice for, to have company yeah. and because you're more experienced you can help them if they have any problems so yeah I think I think Chris enjoy the one hour ones but make sure you've also got other things um, that might need to be longer for your goals but also might need to be harder for you to actually get out of the aerobic zone and start to tap the, uh, the anaerobic zone good question Mike uh, I'm going to say Bowie you might say Bowie What's his question? You say Bowie, yeah. Um, It says, hi Joe, first of all, great podcast, best out there, thank you very much. Here is a question which is looking way into the future. I'm in my third year of try, age 43, uh, completed Chester Olympic last year, three hours, including a breaststroke swim, and will be completing my first 70.3 staffs this summer, Looking looking for something close to six hours. Really enjoying the training and working mostly around the 75% heart rate level. I'm defiantly a, defiantly, I'm definitely a recreational triathlete looking to complete full Ironman in around 15 hours. Um, The goal this season is to learn freestyle. I'm currently 1.8 kilometers in 45 minutes uh, to build on staff and then to train up for the full Ironman during uh, 2017. So let's assume everything goes well at staffs. Uh, what is the best advice to train smart and retain the base fitness through the rest of 2016 and carry it into 2017? I'm considering uh, completing the Chester Marathon towards the end of this year, then focusing on swimming over the winter before building into a program again during the spring. I know this may seem like a question for a few months. Uh, that's fine, don't worry about that. But I, I really like the planning element of the sport and would love to get your insight on try life beyond this season. Thanks in advance, Mike. So, wow. Which is a question at the other end of the spectrum yeah. compared to Chris's just, tweet. Yeah, yeah. But just, just, you know, it's good, it's good to have detail. And I think when, when, um, when Mike, you're sort of building up... I know some people like a lot, they like a lot of planning because it's it's kind of how they can uh, get their head around it, perhaps be able to fit it in and sometimes be able to know where they're going. Plenty of times people that have done it a bit sporadically get good results, but they tend to be people with a perhaps an experience from another sport where they're really good at intuitively working out what their body can do. And sometimes they, they tap into it. Like I think of a couple of examples that will kind of just go completely left field with their training and see what they can do because it's quite nice for them to get a, a pretty bizarre combination of training to say, wow, that's, I wouldn't have done that if we kept doing, you know, 10% here and add a half an hour there. So you're thinking about ultimately how to retain base fitness from from this year to next. And that's what most people are trying to do because you don't really want to think every season you pack your stuff up in September and start from zero. So three years in, you've probably got a lot of your, uh, presuming that's been a a consistent, um, not too injury prone and not too illness prone uh, period of time. You've you've sort of built up, you're saying you're keeping your heart rate around 75%. So you're probably into that. Um, mode of having a, a base and the more that you've kept in that zone the more that you'll be able to do in the future but you're trying to do the almost the build on build and I think that makes sense but you've got to acknowledge that okay we've just passed the spring equinox I can already see it in people's numbers and their training mojo and stuff that you know they're kind of coming out of winter and the cobwebs are coming out and start saying oh I'm pretty pleased with that just to elaborate yeah 
You, what did you say? Build, build on build. Did you say? Yeah, yeah. But what, what do you mean by that? Well, Sorry. sort of. You've built through a year, and it's got really um, to a good point of progression where you sort of say, "Yeah, that's that's gone really well." And then people want to build on that build already. So sort of like add a base to a base. base yeah. And to some extent, you can do that, particularly with the uh, duration of sessions. You can have got used to perhaps being on your feet for uh, 60 minutes every couple of weeks as an endurance run. And then you build up slightly longer than that when you get nearer to your 70.3s. But sometimes what people are trying to do is they're trying to see that what they built up to as their default, or not the default, as their bigger, better sessions for their goals, like maybe he'll run a 14, 15 mile long run a couple of times. They start seeing that as what they're going to then do in the first part of the following winter as if everything's gone up and I think what you have to acknowledge is you can retain your base fitness but from September through to January you're definitely going against the flow so don't try and do too much training and I see it every year you know super motivated people just get just getting ahead of themselves it's like do about three quarters maybe 60% of what you intend doing next summer and when I say summer I mean from from now on but don't do close to what you think is your peak and then think you're just going to keep it going because you're, you're not only finding a lot of additional time when you shouldn't be, but also you're not going to get the payback from that time and then you're going to be almost edging on being too fit too early into the winter. And I can see what he's trying to do is he's trying to say, look, I want to build on this year to next year. And you will because you will have done 70.3. You've got the race experience from that. And you're giving yourself a bit more of a guarantee that, yeah, okay, I've got half of the distance done, but for 2017, you'll have to just up everything as I see it, not from October, but you wait till you get to, um, depending on what Ironman you enter, the earlier the race, such as, say, a, a Lanzarote, you have to get on the plan a bit sooner, but you can't start that back in. September. September. It's still better to do what he said, go back to doing, you know, focusing on swimming and stuff like that and building into a program during the sprint. Yes, build into the program, but you would have already been starting at a slightly higher level. But I wouldn't look at somebody's, say, October, November, December and straight away say, wow, they must do Ironman. I think there can be quite a uniform amount that people do because what's the point in being so fit for January the 1st, knowing it's not just going to keep going upwards. It's not, you know, just because you get fit to a point where your threshold is X minutes per mile or X watts, that's not just going to keep going upwards and upwards and upwards thereafter. So don't get yourself too fit, Mike, by trying to get ahead of yourself. Well, that's what I was going to say to you. In your experience, um, there's a couple of questions, actually, that I'm, I'm quite intrigued about. But is number one is, for Mike, obviously, he's planning on 2016, building into 2017, where he'll do his target goal. Now, do you, do you find with with clients of yours, um, athletes of yours, that because they've got quite a long amount, you know, quite it's quite a, a, a spectrum of time there, that they start to wander a little bit because of the time? Or do you think that makes them more concentrated, the fact that they've got this, not a time restraint, but do you think the gulf of time between the goal 
and kind of now mm. is sometimes too big that you kind of lose a bit of concentration or well it's it's not it's nice to or is that your job <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah 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 but yeah yeah in a sense you can't hold concentration for you know th- this is still going to be even if he does say a summer one you're still talking 16 months from now to do an Ironman and it's like you've got to have ebbs and flows yeah, with that yeah. you can see some very off the boil athletes in November, December who were you know age group athletes at Kona or they PB'd in the summer don't try and hold too much fitness because it doesn't work, I'm sorry I know people try and do it and say I don't know but I'm going to go straight from this race and straight into the winter and they don't just go ever upwards, they spend an awful lot of time and effort from October to January trying to hold something they don't need and I think if he, if if Mike and other people go back to the yeah the technical side of swimming go back to getting strong in the gym um, look at some slightly different things maybe a bit of uh, off-road riding cyclocross learning you know learning to do rollers going off and doing I don't know tr- you know trail um like trail orienteering or, or long hikes on the dales, whatever. Something that still is aerobically useful towards the Ironman, but you're not on an Ironman plan that starts now, goes to 73.3 staffs, sort of carries on through into September, then right, I'm on the plan now. I think October, November, December, just work out you're going against the flow, um, make sure that you do respect that your body still needs to recharge from the season, mm. But you don't want to stop and then go back to square one. And you do want to look at what you've done, um, particularly at uh, staffs, at the centre point three and sort of think, what, what, if I ask somebody, what would they say was the thing that was slowing me down the most? Is it body composition and just you've got to be lighter? And bottom line, you just got to be lighter. If you want to run better, if you want to, um, you know, make it easier, lose weight. Or... Do you know what? Your, your bike is the oldest thing in transition. You need to upgrade parts of your bike to uh, make best use of energy. Because anything over 70.3 you can find has got double the time or distance to make um, a gain in the Ironman. So you can use the 70.3 to learn, but everybody's got to get to the end of the season and then not detrain, but not try and hold peak fitness and realise that to stay aerobic at your 75% heart rate, you will go slower from September through to December unless you magically lose a lot of weight or you're starting out all over again and you weren't this person that was base building. Some people do get fitter from September to December, but only if they've been doing quite a lot of things wrong or they've detrained. And I think it's nice to have a long-term plan, but as as you were saying, Crocker, it's an awful long time to concentrate, to think that you're just building and building and building towards it. Along the way, get some things done now. I think this summer before the next year's Ironman, find yourself... Certainly now there's there's more options to do either sporties or time trials and based on the support you get and the type of course, it's probably better to do a sportif. They'll probably not do it um, on your, your full-on tri-bike, but do a, you know, find yourself a 150-kilometre, 200-kilometre um, sportif towards, again, back end of the year, um, August, September, even into October, and just get a long ride done to give you some kind of inkling of what's it like to be on the bike for many, many hours. The marathon, yeah, okay, towards the end of the year, but it's kind of a, it's a box to tick. And only if you're, you know, don't go into marathons if you're already one of these 
injury prone people that that thankfully triathlon means you only have to do a third of your training running you can do the other two thirds swim and bike don't go to a marathon if you're an injury prone person go to it if you're robust you're strong you could tick the box and not really notice it i like the word robust yeah but you've got to be it's 26 miles and there are certain people that can do 26 miles and ultras and they're great and i was talking to a a chap earlier neil who i advise and yes he is a an ultra marathoner that's going to go off and run three days hard in the welsh mountains and do thousands of feet of climbing a day um he's five foot two and uh what eight stone that's why he runs that well yeah yeah. (laughs) and um that isn't every triathlete. Lots of triathletes are triathletes because they've been injury-prone runners or because they found the sport because they've done lots of different things, but this appeals to them because it's kind of not specialist, but it's fun. But Mike, if you are not robust, don't do a marathon thinking you've got to learn what it's like because it's a standalone event. You've got to learn how to be a strong, robust mm. runner after having done probably no less than six hours of exercise before you start the marathon. And therefore, you don't have to be fast. You don't have to be a runner. You have to be a triathlete that can run between aid stations, drink uh, probably no less than half a litre an hour, probably half a litre an hour-ish, take gels, bars, tuck bistics, whatever you have on the run to keep you going, which isn't what people do for standalone marathons. They're only now just at the elite level the last few years passing bottles around and actually taking on board 60 grams of cars. That's actually quite interesting because you don't... You just associate the sport individually, don't you? Yeah. So, like, for instance, Mike, I wouldn't have thought, you know, I'm going to do a marathon. So, yeah, you would you could treat it like the leg of your Ironman, effectively. Mm, yeah. Can you? But like you said, by practising certain theories, by mm. practising certain um, feeding techniques, mm. um, even, a, well, not equipment as such with that, because you should be running in those trainers for a while anyway. But, you know, from, from that, even th- like calf guards, you know, things like that, compression kit. So, yeah, so, uh, you know, that was one thing I wouldn't have thought about is you could practice doing that and even getting handed drinks, even getting handed... Um, uh, I don't know, or, or taking on the gels and carrying the kit. Mm. You know, that's something that I wouldn't have thought of because you just go, oh, it's a marathon, I'm going running. Yeah. yeah. And I'm doing 26 miles. And most marathons don't give you the provision, hence they're not the cost of an Ironman. Ironman has got a lot of support from sponsors, but also they, they have a lot of uh, nutrition that they have to get. So to use a marathon to practice for Ironman, you're going to have to carry your stuff because they won't have it. Lots of people just do looped runs because... It's easy to do a loop run and then dive in and use the toilet or grab fuel every time you come back round for another four-mile loop um, and take something halfway through the four-mile loop at two miles to get it, you know, at two, four, back home, have something at six, etc., etc., and go round in circles. That's better than going to an event saying, oh, they only had water, didn't have gels. I mean, triathlon is different and it's sometimes very different to get used to what is the limiting factor in Ironman. It's not whether you can run fast, it's whether you can still be running forwards with... Uh, a lot of chances to stop because there's so many aid stations and there is so many people stopping or walking around you, but also that you have to be able to pace and have the endurance to do that 112-mile bike ride and then contemplate moving your feet one in front of the other. And that's different to doing a you know end of uh, like end of year marathon standalone. If you do it, 
do a long bike ride the day before to start to get some kind of simulation. Well, to be honest, Mike, you might as well do a hundred odd mile on the bike first and just join straight into the summer. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's the thing. And, and like you said, actually, it's not, that's, that's, a, that's a, a top idea from, from Joe, kind of treat the, treat the event as part of your triathlon rather than a standalone event. Yeah. Friday night, you get people on the Friday to do, you know, do, do a serious swim, perhaps, you know, do either a broken swim of uh, four-ish K or, or get in warm up and then do 3.8 K on the Saturday, go out and, and don't, don't smash a massive ride, but just go out and, and get your legs fatigued and, and think of it as I've done a swim on the Friday, bike on the Saturday, you know, it might be, let's say, 40 50 miles and on the Sunday do the marathon we were on the start line then already saying you know I haven't tapered like the runners here but then I'm not trying to be a runner I'm just trying to do this yeah. as part of yeah, a, like part that. of an exercise of well the swim shouldn't make too much effect on the Friday because that's been you've had two sleeps since then the bike the day before is just to take the edge off you mentally if you don't do much the day before you're going to start getting you know oh yeah I've, I've, I've been tapered for this one i think i'm gonna be able to run fast and stuff if you ride the day before you're still on no this is all part of a training week and then you do the marathon and that means you you start with more respect you've already thought about your feeding because you can feel the uh, the day before's training effect and you don't get you don't get nervous thinking, oh, I spent the whole weekend waiting for this run and then I kind of ran too fast because, well, I had too much energy. You know, you're, you're ultimately doing all of this, as you've said in the question, for summer 2017. So a lot of things you do have to work towards that. And if you look at the likely pace of that, then it's an easy aerobic pace to do that run in the uh, 2017 um, Ironman run. That's, that's not going to be, you're not going to be running five minute miles. Nobody's done it yet. And so you are going to be running pretty steady. It's just you're going to have fatigue. Whatever one you choose, you'll probably have an element of heat on the run. You'll have to digest food. <laughs> apart from the English one. Apart from the English one. You, but you have heat, you know, and uh, perhaps uh, UV if you choose one of the really hot ones. And that's what makes the marathon difficult. Not the fact that you have to be fast. You have to have that resilience. And therefore, that's what you've got to practice. But good, good question. I like, like that one. And, and enough, enough succinctness that it wasn't an autobiography. It was a very, very nicely uh, worded um, uh, question. And um, I think very relevant to quite a few people. Um, let's take this one from uh, Andrew. I know Andrew for quite a while. I coached him a few years back for time trialing and he just sent it through on, uh, on email. And he says, uh, hi, Joe, hope you're keeping well. Um, and uh, I have a question about FTP testing for the last year, for the last couple of years, I've been completing my FTP test based on the Hunter, Allen and Andrew Coggan method of 20 minutes, less 5% to set my training zones. Um, this year, I've decided to return to time trialing and I've found achieving the same power outputs in the TT position difficult. On this basis, should I do two separate tests, one on the road bike and one on the TT bike and have separate zones for each bike? Look forward to your views on this, Andrew Cooper. Well, um... I suppose uh, I've always thought that anyway, doing FTP tests, I would have had somebody in position doing it anyway. So perhaps before Andrew, what you've done is you've done um, the FTP, but you haven't thought about it necessarily being in aero position or perhaps at that time you, um, I can't imagine you, you would have sold your TT bike. So I'd imagine you'd have had a TT bike, but you just ended up doing it in a road position, perhaps to get more power. Um, and it may be that in the time that you've had also between 
the um, previous uh, incarnation of your time trialing and now that your flexibility, your position, um, you were you were quite aggressive at the front end, and it may be that in in us at that point thinking back to the positions that I can see with you, you were quite aggressively low and it might be better that as part of almost testing your FTP and aero position, you end up finding the best place for your um, power output because plenty of times we see it when we're doing people on the um, uh, Scott fitting system, smart system, can't think what it's called, smart fit this. Yeah, um, I, can't, I can't remember what the name was. Um, <laughs> It, it tells us what the front end is and there are people that have been track tested, tunnel tested and optimised and they're always higher than what these bike fit um, systems say and also they would be higher than, than your um, previous position. Uh, off the top of my head you rode for Bournemouth Jubilee Wheelers, I remember at one point you had a trek and it was quite an aggressive position. One thing I have got is a very, very... Um, uh, photographic uh, type memory I can remember lots of things it was allowed me to uh, revise very effectively as a kid because I could literally just look at a piece of paper and recall it the downside of that is you've got all these images of like bikes and people I think oh, I remember yeah Bournemouth Jubilee Wheelers Giro White Hat da, 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 da. I can remember it all but it was aggressive and it may be what he's finding is low aero position is just too low to get quite as much wattage out and I've certainly found on a road bike in Mallorca on some climbs, being able to put out wattage that took another, what, almost year to achieve in the TT position on a bike. Not because it was too low, but just because going uphill, that FTP test just gave a little bit more watts. Take it back. FTP, Joseph. <laughs> yeah. Um, F- well, the, the, the reason why I do this is if... if <laughs> I think sometimes what happens is is we all get in we all get into the the slang and the terms of 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 training. But some, I I kind of I think if you've got a um, a person just coming into the sport and there's someone just sat there going FTP 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 and I hate the thought that someone would be tapping on their computer and FTP. What does that mean in relation to bikes? Yeah. So bringing in several ways of defining this, FTP would be thought of as your um, your sort of functional threshold power, which would be another way of saying if you were to do a one hour effort, what would you hold the power at as an average? Uh, so that would be, you know, that would be bang on what the hour record holders would be looking at as FTP. Ironically, FTP, as you get nearer to the end of an effort, often people can go above FTP particularly with the time trial, because they, you know, they might save a bit and find, oh, I can just go a bit harder. So perhaps they were at their FTP, but they can just eke out a little bit more towards the end. Uh, FTP would also be the point at which, if you were doing lactate testing, that would be the four millimole point. So that is when your, your body's at this supposed fixed number. People do vary. There have been people with thresholds of five millimoles, but lactate level would be four millimoles um it would also have in days gone by been called your anaerobic threshold you know technically what you can hold uh for an hour but if you were doing shorter distance races you could hold a threshold of a 20 minute duration for higher what you do with this 20 minute test is it's easier to to pace that therefore it's a more likely outcome to get right so you do a 20 minute um, effort also works very well for lots of UK-based time trialists because it's 
Um, now, it isn't everybody's 10-mile effort, but it's a good portion of lots of time trialists' um, sort of race duration. So they get an idea of what can they put out roughly for a race um, situation. Uh, there's other ways of doing it whereby if you take uh, a ramp test uh, like we do um, at South Fork, where you take somebody from... 100 watts and progress it 20 watts every minute well truth speaking is you take someone from a nice quiet state a nice person and turn them into a, a sweating monster yes effectively yes um, and at the point you hit max you hit your your ppo your sort of peak power output um which is different to if you were going to do a sprint but this peak power that you sustain in the last minute of this ramp test if you take that and times it by 0.8 that should again land at your um your, your 20 minute effort if you times it by 0.75 you'll find your ftp okay so these are all trying to be guesstimates of how much power um somebody can put out and the um the ftp has got it's got it's got some momentum and it's certainly got a fair degree of um of, of sort of solid rationale behind it it's just that there are there are different terminologies and if somebody were um used to perhaps talking in lactate terms or heart rate terms lactate ftp is four millimoles heart rate ftp is probably depending on the individual anywhere between maybe 87 and maybe 90 ftp maybe 87 and 90 percent of heart rate max something in that region it might be 85 in some but it's the upper end of zone two just into zone um three uh, in my categorization the physiology categorization so andrew's got different ftp um outcomes over this 20 minute effort probably because of his position um i'm not going to say that it's not impossible that based on the power system you were using you may well have got um a newer system and having had most systems, I can't think, I think the only one I haven't used is power to max. Most other systems I've used, um, most of the systems I've had data from them and not that that tells you how accurate they are, but we can certainly use a lot of data to look at how uh, reproducible the systems are. But oftentimes, if there's been a quite a, a, a chunk of changes, it's less likely that the athletes altered their FTP um, it's often just double check that the system's actually measuring what it should be well this is what we were having a discussion with funny enough with with uh, Nick uh, here at Southport um, before we started the recording certain and brands certain <laughs> yeah certain certain power brands that, that we've done and, and I'm fortunate enough that I've used quite a few of these um, with with quite remarkable results I might add well <laughs> quite very mediocre results um, but I, I always, I, we, we had, a, we had a, a customer that came in and, and he's a good friend of ours, um, but he was always, always saying about the figures being put out on his turbo trainer. But then when he went and rode on the, on the road, he was yeah. like, you know, I can't get anywhere near it. I said, well, why don't you use the power that you're using on the road on your turbo trainer, see how you get on? And it was almost like, it, it was almost like he was offended by the way that I said it, but also then kind of embarrassed that it's like, oh yeah, well, that makes perfect sense. Because I said, you know, how do you know, hmm. you know, unless, do, have you looked at your heart rate as well? And he went, well, yeah, that's out. And I'm like, well, something's wrong then. Yeah. Something is fundamentally yeah. wrong. Yeah. So if you go back out, go, go put your bike on the turbo trainer with your power meter and ride with that. And then just, how do you get on? 
oh yeah yeah that'll be it yeah the turbo training was out by like 35 watts yeah, yeah. and the turbo training was quite old now if someone came and gave you 35 watts you'd be over the moon wouldn't you yeah but it was like i said he was taking for 35 watts away from him and he yeah. just couldn't figure it out I mean, we've, we've seen i mean we've seen variations with people that even within the same brand you get that certain brands yes. you get you get yeah. that variation oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. so you've almost got i quite like this time of year and this um be something i'll i'll email you separately andrew is to uh do a max test you know go back to the right what what can i in the power meter come up with numbers wise because often that at least tell you well look, this is the this is the peak amount there's no there's no pace judgment there you just keep going and going and going whether with ftp sometimes people clearly learn how to get better at the test and there may be a training effect therefore you get better at pushing for longer so maybe your lactate tolerance maybe your ability to go through some tough bits and then come out the other end um improves but this could you know be a simple case of either andrew's position means that He's not getting um, quite the power out that he did before, and that might relate to the position that he used to ride in. Or it's just a completely different power system. And then we've got this problem of, well, you're not you know, comparing you know, apples with bananas, and the two things can't be compared. Therefore, you've almost got to start afresh and say, well, the previous numbers were, were the previous numbers. And actually, the rider themselves, unless they've changed massively doesn't really matter if your peak power is lower on a different system than what it used to be that's irrelevant it's using those numbers everyone likes to be putting out their best numbers ever but i've seen it with the different systems even over the past say six years is that um if you if you get a a dodgy system on the wrong day it can make the best of your rides suddenly take a complete edge off it because you're like, yeah, but I didn't quite get to the numbers. And you're like, those numbers, because of the variance of, of some of the systems, uh, luckily, and just down to my feet on my left is an info crank, which hopefully the accuracy um, we're seeing with those is so much better that we're going to see less variation. If we see less variation, we'll see more consistency in what the rider is hoping to see, which is, Am I getting better? Is, is there something going on? What you don't want to be doing is, oh, yeah. It's all to do with, like you said, with the turbo versus the road bike. It's it's then the equipment that you're you're, you're basically testing, not you. And, uh, and I, again, I, you get... I do it every year, is, is I look back on previous year's power tests and you go, oh, right, well, I felt like I trained better and I'm 15 watts down. But I, I tend to use the same brand, even though I have used various brands, but there's always still going to be the difference between yeah. the same brand and the same and, and different units. So, uh, by the sounds of it, um, with Andy is is, I mean, Joe obviously has got a massive insight into this because you know he's, he's trained you before. But um, I think is if you've gone round by the sounds of it, he, you know he's 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 pretty well clued up on the, on mm. kind of most of it. So I would say that his equipment is will more than likely be bang on. Uh, but it will probably be boiling down now to a bit of bike bike fitting, mm. um, and 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 I think from from that point, it should. I, I don't. J Joe's obviously the, the 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 best guy to be able to talk to or to to be honest with kind of how the zones would work. And if it was me, I would just have one set of zones to work on, mm. two bikes. Mm. That's how I would do it. But I would try and make sure that the bike that I was maybe struggling on was to the best fit 
yeah. possible yeah. for me. Yeah. That's, I think, yeah. the word. And, I, and I think, you know, aero and lower power normally says maybe it's just, you know, a bit too low. Um, but without, you know, without finding out his... Um, his use of technology, it might be the same old power system on the same old bike, in which case it might be the rider, he might have just become less flexible, less able to do it. And and often when you look at your, you know, your best rides and your best numbers, you've got to realise how long a lead up you took to get to those numbers. So if you're, if you're even within, um, I'd say if you're even within like between five and ten percent it's like well if you're coming back to it you haven't really been doing it then actually that's not that far off that means you've got 90 percent of what you had at your peak and you've now got to spend you know months trying to get to the point where you're um where you're honing in your body to deliver what was still you know impressive times i think off the top of my head andrew went a few times under 20 minutes and this would have been not the um, not the not the most recent era of aero equipment. It was it was solid for the day, but you look at what we're doing and think, blimey, there's going to be quite a few upgrades that he can do in um, tires, possibly in his bike, certainly in his skin suit. Uh, I think ultimately in his position as well to say you had a good engine then actually don't worry that you know FTP might be different because I bet there's lots of things that have changed but fundamentally the engine is very good and that's the bit that you've just got to say let's just get data then start to work out what it tells us don't make too many sudden sort of oh my lord I'm already off I'm already off yeah. and, I, and I haven't started yet and I'm already off as you say would you say that 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 is a big problem that you get with people is the fact as soon as the figures don't match up to last year is I'm already behind. I'm already, I'm already suffering. I'm, I'm already kind of lacking. Yeah. Um, and I guess, it, is, it for, is it for you to then go, look, you know, ignore last year. You had a good year last year. You've had a good winter's training. Let's just go back to the numbers. Let's mm. work with the numbers. And then let's work with the numbers. Work, you said you said, you said you said like you're just going to get me finance That's for right, a car. Yeah, yeah. Let's work just with just these numbers, Mister Beer. Just yeah, let's work with these numbers. What do you mean work with these? You know numbers? your house, my house. <laughs> um, you 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 work with what you've got there and then. Well, yeah, and to to look at most individual situation if they know that something significant has happened to their their health or their consistency. Um, you then tend to to realise that most years aren't the same as the year before and it's a difficult thing to get your head round. But if you train and you project your goals based on current information, you're a lot more likely to be happy that you are being realistic. There's nothing worse than somebody coming back each year and they've actually forgotten that they didn't get to X watts or X speed or X whatever... And even though they didn't quite get there, that tiny bit might only be 30 seconds. It was still 30 seconds they didn't get. So they're not even starting at the point where they thought, yeah, but last year I did such and such, I want to go a bit quicker. They didn't get to the quick bit. Therefore, to make the bit that they're on about now going 3% faster, it's like, you've got to get to where you thought you were last year. And don't count, you know, the short course or, you know, the, well, it was almost, but not quite. I think you have to be really, really honest. Numbers do the talking and if they're not quite there right what can you do right now to work with what you've got now yeah, yeah. Well, is, is it is it is it not going to be quite possible 
is it if you're in a triple sport event well can you make it up in ways that uh, perhaps you haven't looked at some sports are incredibly simple it's hard just to go faster over 5k so yeah but you've just got to go faster because there's not a lot you can do with technology and with the distance that you're talking about the only thing you do is find a better place to do your 5k part run etc with triathlon you've got a huge amount of um options with which to choose different parts of the sport to make gains but also you you do have to eventually believe the numbers and that can be the downside of taking previous ftp data um taking perhaps things that were your best case scenario and now you've got to kind of think i'm not at my best case scenario. i'm not just starting and and i think there's lots of athletes do it they start the season where they peaked last season, sort of assuming that they'll get to that immediately. And I want to be this many percent faster. And you're like, yeah, but you didn't do that so many times. It was your default. You did it once and perhaps everything came together on that once. The average of your times of your races was down here. Of course, they don't remember the average. They remember the peak. And the peak is, yeah, the peak is, you know, the uh, Usain Bolt. What's his, what's his record? Is it, is it nine... It's something 963, is it? Or 957, whatever it is. It's just, he's not running as fast as he was, okay? People remember the fast times and then they start seeing the number of times he's dipping under 10, but he's doing like, you know, 988 or something like that. Yeah, yeah, you are. You're yeah. right with that. You you don't see his yeah. Yeah, you and you forget. Think he's you forget. Yeah. You forget that bit of difference between the absolute peak and now. And most most of us are like that. We remember the 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 best one, but come back down and look at your average data. And it might be interesting for Andrew to look at you know prior average um, FTPs because of course we want to remember the best because that's us on a good day. But that was only that little pimple that was the peak of that season, and the rest that was lower. lower which was the average was what you did most of the time and that's going to be what you have to get back to before you get up to the next level and to take um, complications of potentially position change and power meter change Andrew's got to get quite a lot of data just in his head as to where he is right now because if it's out just because of fundamental technological side of things fine you know i say to people you know this is the engine you've got we measure it in numbers nobody surprised me yet they've done really slow times that yet they've got this huge engine just waiting there to go faster it's like no it tends to you know you could take somebody's time and work it back and say i reckon you're here and when i write it down on the piece of paper before max test i'm not normally that far out because you look at somebody's time look at the mass say i reckon you're this and they rarely are so significantly beyond that. And uh, it's probably why time trialing you know, fits the fits the sort of very um, numerically based people that like to sort of say, this is what I do, this is how hard I go, this is the time. And that's it. It's just a series of numbers. People don't say, oh, well done, you did a 10-mile time trial today and pat you on the back. They're like, well, what was your wattage or how fast did you go? So it's a different kind of mindset. It's why it can be incredibly... Uh, uh, shall we say simple to progress because you've got one event and it's quite simple but it can be very insular in the fact you've just got these numbers this wattage this speed and it therefore can be very driven by just a set of numbers that could be out of your control such as you know uh, traffic flow um, air pressure and uh, what number you go off compared to you know when's the rain coming over the top of this course that day but good question and um, I'll fire him off some uh, bits and pieces and also we'll get a bit of feedback back from him because it's quite 
a um, the FTP test is, is quite a common test for people to do less so I'd say within triathlon but becoming more important for people to do as power comes in stream is there a variation of the 20 minute the FTP that you can do that is a bit a bit more accurate well, no, the FTP is accurate. It just matters, matters FTP is it, accurate. It's just that you have to learn how much can you squeeze out for 20 minutes. And some of the reason why people's FTP goes up is they've just tried harder. And I know that sounds really silly, but if you do a max test, you rarely get people change the data significantly. It might change from, you know, November, not quite in it, to uh, right on the ball in May. Yeah, it would go up a bit because they're more in form, but the gross power engine of that individual will not change a lot. And I think it's it's almost pulling together several numbers, not really ever taking one number and saying, oh, that's what it is. Yeah, you're doing max test and it should be in the ballpark if you do the protocol, right? That, for Andrew, I can probably work out from what I know he used to do before in time trials over 10 miles, what he should be able to do for a max test. That should then tell us what he can do for a 25-mile TT. That would ultimately say, this is what you can do for a 20-minute FTP test. So all the numbers eventually um, do line up. Nobody's doing you know better power over 20 minutes than they are um, over, um, the, let's say they do a 20-minute test and that's 300 watts, where they won't go and do 320 watts for an hour. If they do, it means we just didn't, you just didn't pace that 20-minute one right, because you're going for two and a half times the length and you're doing 20 watts more. So eventually the numbers should correlate with Start one another. Up, yeah. um, and for Andrew, at the speed that he'll be aiming to go, the FTP is also a good test of uh, just the race duration. I break it down, I actually get people to do two 10-minute tests, because that's what they're doing in a race typically short break in between literally they have like a you know like a 45 second you know recovery and then go again so you just get them used to that psychology that you won't be going around the roundabout at the turn doing your power output because you have to break plus you realize that actually getting back up to speed and holding it is quite a talent when you've had a recovery of even 45 seconds you can start back up and go too hard and no you're not in a um you're not in a scenario where outdoors you put exactly the same power out in both directions. One might be into the wind, one might be with a tailwind, one might have more traffic, one might be slightly uphill, slightly rough, etc. Um, good question and worth um, worth a follow worth, up at some point. Follow. I was just yeah. going to say. Um, and we've got one more question, uh, which was from uh, Doug, Doug Hoskins, and he says, um, Hi Joe and Crocker. I've heard some triathletes, coaches, use a technique... <laughs> you made that sound like, I've heard some triathletes... I want to put some intrigue into it. I've heard that some coaches and triathletes use a technique called periodization, which involves a period of high training intensity or load of around three weeks, followed by a week of reduced training intensity and load. Um, what are your views on the benefits of this type of approach? At second, connected to this, I have also come across views that a full rest day during which no training is undertaken should be taken every seven to ten days i certainly have easier training days but i'm probably not as good at taking full rest days should a training program include full rest days kind regards doug so we've got two parts um i suppose we explain periodization thank uh, you uh yeah that's just you know that's <laughs> very simply as breaking things down into 
periods of um, it's not only training intensity and load so that would be maybe how much people do go into upper high intensity areas versus what is the total amount that they would do it may be also the discipline so often in the October to December period, often you'll see sports whereby they'll get them doing other things. So they'll, you know, they'll be rowers, but they're getting them do cross country skiing. There'll be cyclists that do, you know, more weight training, maybe even a little bit of running. Um, just, you know, as a way to say, don't try and do everything you do at the level you do all year round. And I think that's one advantage periodization brings is that you're, you're breaking things down into psychologically a, um, uh what's the question yeah psychologically a a different focus and a different focus is quite good when if we go back to um the original question when we had it uh from um uh mike about his 70.3 in ironman and you said it and it's right it's a heck of a long time for him to be totally focused on every week's got to get in and swim you know with a group of people and do at least 4k etc etc so periodization um is a very useful way of breaking down each annual cycle and each build to races but not just by when's the biggest volume when's the longest sessions also when you're doing completely different cross training when are you taking time out and the intensity and load yeah it's i think everybody's doing periodization without without realizing it if you only ever did exactly the same training all year round then you're not even really training you've just got nice training habits you like to do you know your your seven hours a week you do this session this session this session that's what you do all year round now most of the people doug is a um is a triathlete he can't do the same thing all year round because sometimes he's doing swim bike run in a you know in a lake and in the real world and in the winter it'll be um in the gym on rollers etc so periodization has to happen because everybody's got to have differences in their training because we live in a situation where um, if you're going to compete outdoors and not be on a uh, an indoor... Um, what's your indoor system you're into now? Swift. Swift. If you're, you know, if you're, an, in, if you're an indoor Swift rider, you could argue you don't have to worry about when you race because you could race all year round <laughs> because there's no difference in, in outside things. But as it's dark here and it'll be, you know, it won't be dark in a few months' time, you would still have an annual cycle, even within Swift racing. If you wanted to do your best, you would wait till about May, June, July, August because that should be when it best. I wouldn't be on there. Right. But, but also with, with periodization. so, um, so uh, training intensity load of around three weeks followed, followed by, by a week, one week. Of, of reduced. Yeah. Now, are those building weeks? So that first week... Then you build a bit more intensity. Then you build a more intensity, and well, then you back it off. Or well, as 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 as, as many uh, combinations that you could do are being done by people, and there doesn't appear to be. So there's not and a pattern. There's not an absolute. Yeah. The three to one. I like. I like three to one because I think for most people it gives them about the. It gives them a sense of. Um, Ratios that mean that every fourth week in the cycle you're having adaptation. Uh, three weeks is long enough. You know, twenty days doesn't mean twenty days. You're progressing through the whole thing. Sometimes people's biggest load is the first week, and they the freshest because they've come out of the adaptation phase. They'll do their biggest training then because they say, well, that's when I get most tired. Other people will do this block training idea where they will they'll actually pick a let's say a three-week block, and they'll do lots and lots and lots of intervals followed by 
adaptation and then go into lots and lots and lots of endurance. I think that it, it could work on a lot of different levels. There doesn't seem to be ultimately a perfect, oh, this works for everybody. There's lots of different theories of training. Yeah. I think it's actually gearing it for the individual. There are so many different scenarios of what people's time what their um, preferences are for training. Some people love to train in the winter, and in the summer they say they don't want to do too much of it because they they just you know they they like they just like the training in the winter and the the summer stuff. They'd rather do shorter, sharper stuff and and less often. And of course, that imposes immediately that you've got to take into account the athlete's preferences because if everybody had to train the same way through the annual cycle you would just say, well, no, this is the way you train. And there used to be a sense of, you know, you did loads and loads, loads of base, and then at the last minute you did lots of speed work. Now there's a case of uh, all parts of the year you need to do some base work, some high intensity that may be more resistance training. It may be um, shorter anaerobic work and not quite so intensive. And then as you move nearer to your goal, um, you're doing slightly more intensive work more often, but you're still keeping some base. That There appears to be still the need for a lot of Z1 training. Um, there's still... For most people, it's different for pros. All year round, they should do high intensity. It's probably the nature of the fact they can recover. It's their job. They do the, the hard work because they, they've got to be at their best. But a lot of amateur athletes, the off-season is spent you know, trying to stay well and not necessarily keep their speed. They'll stay well. They'll do strength work. They'll recover because they haven't got all of the luxuries of athletes that are pros to spend you know, four hours training a day. But the other, um, let's say... Uh, I don't know, six hours that somebody might spend going from their front door to getting back home in their working day. The athletes race, sorry, train four hours, still have eight hours and still be recovering in that eight hours and the person working doesn't get that chance. So I think, yeah, periodization is a a form of, um, of, of uh, it's really trying to get people to plan what they're doing and when and therefore the benefits are, are definite because you're not just... What's the weather like? Oh, it's quite nice. Do you know what? I do more training now. Oh, it's Easter coming up. Oh, I've got a day off. I do more training. It's like, that's not how it works. You might find it's easier to do certain sessions, but just because the rain is um, is not here today doesn't mean you do more training. So I think periodization works because it's, it's imposing something that works backwards from your event. It does say, well, as I call it now, this is the phase of transition. We're moving. Clocks are changing. More, more daylight opportunities. Longer days. The season is within view. So we're transitioning slightly. Some of our focus moves towards race orientated stuff, maybe using race gear, certainly being able to train, you know, slightly later in the day and slightly earlier in the day. Um, his second part that he said about full rest day. Yeah, I, I, I think for a lot of athletes, rest days, not many people come away from a rest day and say, oh, I felt really rubbish the next day. There is the absolute training addict that just loves to train that says, oh, I can't have a rest day. It's like, well, you just like your training, you know, good luck on it. But people should have rest days. Um, they may be active rest days for some, but it's that how much do you do already? And if you're already doing a set quantity and you get it done in six days to have a day off, is really good because you're doing something in that rest day that can't be done in a training day. And also, is the amount of people... And, I mean, I, I, I say this all the time. I'm probably as guilty as... I, I struggle. I do struggle to kind of just sit there and... It's not so bad. It sounds awful, but when the cycling season's on, I tend to watch cycling on telly and I can sit there for the whole race. So four and a half hours, five hours, six hours for the big single-day classics. I could quite happily sit there 
and not batter an eyelid, just watch the telly. But sometimes, like the active rest days, I find mm. that a bit odd because what what normally happens is you go, right, I'm not doing anything. And they go, oh, do you fancy... I, my friend's just going for a jog around the park, so I'm going to go with them. And what you end up doing then is jogging around the park and then they, they kind of go, well, I'm about done. And you think, oh, that was quite easy. I'm going to do one more extra lap. You know, so you go and do an extra lap. And by the time you've finished, you might as well have done a proper day's training, <laughs> yeah, yeah. really. Um, but I think as you... As you get older, your time, maybe your time is less, um, you get less free time. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you ha- can sit down and watch the television. Oh, you do. You do. <laughs> you? Cup of tea and maybe a biscuit that's really dry and awful. <laughs> that's not, that, that's good for you. But, but you know, it's rest, it's, I, I don't use the word rest days. I sometimes put it in people's plans by accident. It's, it's the same as having that, that fourth week that you do three weeks and then there's one week. It's not a rest week. You don't say, right, everybody, I'm not going to work. I've got to stay in bed. <laughs> I want breakfast in bed. And, and by the way, um, if, if, uh, if anybody needs me, I'm, I'm not here. Is that an adaption week? Exactly. So if you have... I'm stuffed you punch <laughs> No, it's fine. It's a, you know, it's a... Particularly if somebody has to go to work, it certainly isn't a rest day. It's just a non-training day. And I like that term, a non-training day. And dare I say it, try something different, people, for your adaption days. Why not have an adaption day at the weekend, okay? <clears throat> Don't put your hand up yet, I haven't Sorry. finished. Okay. Um, <laughs> people normally have rest, ooh, adaption days in the week because they just oh, just couldn't really fit anything inside an adaptation day. Why not do it at the weekend? Because first you've got a lot of time. Um, also, you may well have uh, your... Uh, family and friends and things to do which mean that you can quite easily use that time but for once you're actually thinking i'm just gonna you know i'm gonna take a day off when i'm not working you can't again stop but some people with um with with lesser commitments can say yeah i just i just spent the whole day just lounging and doing nothing and that was it and it's like great but don't always think of it as a day in the week because if you have to go to work it's not actually as much an adaptation day as it could be. And if you are training, if you are sometimes getting uh, you know, really tired, really sore muscles, really beaten up from races or training sessions, sometimes the best thing you can do is to insert a rest day. And I, I've said to people, sometimes we've done a, um, uh, a, a DRD, a double rest day, and they put two days back to back and don't train. Now, for people that are into their training, of course that that is a you know a major hurdle. Oh, I'm not going to do anything for two days. But it's like get the bigger picture, and if you get the bigger picture, and um, as somebody said to me earlier today, oh, I took that time out, and wow, this morning today went really well. And it's like, can you get that connection? It, it hasn't gone really well because of. Um, some bizarre alignment of the stars it's gone really well <laughs> because you took time off to recover and you took time off to recover why because you've done such good training now if you do too many days of recovery you're clearly not training but if you've got a fairly uh consistent training pattern don't be scared to take an adaptation day because it could well be the best thing you do because there's only so many things you can plug into training and after a while there are people that I I think 
throw in a rest day once every seven to 10 days. And that person would just keep getting better. But while they're training constantly, they're just going around in circles. And what's the worst that's going to happen on a rest day? You feel better. You get some admin done. You see people you don't normally see because you're going out the door all the time. But also you get that difference between not training and training. If all you have to do is every day get up and think, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do training-wise, has it actually become exercise addiction? And if you cannot take a, a day off, I would say you're addicted to exercise in maybe not a very um, healthy way. And of course, you can, as much as you like, you can pad that out with saying, yes, but I've got this Ironman to do, well, I've got to do these time trials and I've got this massive sportif in the summer. But still, people that do this professionally have days off. And if you cannot entertain having a, a day off or a double rest day, then maybe consider that you may have let the training start to take over every habit from your waking moment that says, oh, can I get another training session in? And people are like that. Oh, I've got this extra time to do the training session. And I'm like, what's in the plan? Is is that what? Yeah, but I thought I could get extra. It's like, it's not just about getting extra. It's about being able to say, are you in charge of the plan? Or is the exercise in charge of the plan? And sometimes it's the exercise. And of course, you can therefore just justify, oh, yeah, but I've got such and such to do. And I live to train pretty much. I don't live to train to race, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So I do love training, but I think the days have gone where I have to train every day. Mm. And my knowledge has got better from the point of view that I know I don't have to train every day. But you have to have confidence in what yes. you know yes, works. Yes, agreed. agreed. And then if you don't, then you just revert to the Monday mm. to Sunday training mm. and then turn around and go, oh, I turned up at a race this year. I've done more training this year than I've ever done. And... I was I was rubbish, you know, and you kind of almost just want to go, well, how many adaption days? And I like adaption better than rest day because rest day sounds like you're being lazy, whereas adaption yeah. day is you've done your hard work, you've it, earned that day. Yeah, you've earned that. Not even you've earned that day, you've got to do it. You, you've, got to, you've got to have recoveries between intervals. You don't just say, no, nah, I don't believe in intervals. I'm not going to do six ups of four minutes. I'm just going to do 24 minutes straight. Well... Yeah, in a, in a silly way, you laugh. But in a silly way, what would happen about eight minutes into that and not even eight minutes into it? You'd just, you'd be mullered trying to do the next four minutes and next four minutes and you'd go, oh, it, it just went downhill. But that's and, why we harper on about numbers as well, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Because you, won't, you yeah. won't be able to hit the numbers yeah. Yeah. from doing it. And, so. I, and I get it that with the longer distance stuff, some people have to train quite a lot to be able to do, um, you know, Ironman distance triathlons or 12-hour time trials and, and just quite long-distance things. But having looked at all ends of the spectrum, there are a lot of very effective uh, amateur athletes who get by on quite normal numbers, not excessive, not like having to do as many sessions as they can. And that's because they've just... You know, they absorb what they've done and they've got the engine that they've got. What they haven't done is tried to just keep doing too much. And that there is a lot of that out there where you just think, somebody tell that person to have a day off and don't think they've got to keep doing it and keep doing it, keep doing it. Because if, if, you, if you took that to its logical e extension, okay, so if you just kept doing as much training as possible, would you just keep getting better and better and better? No, you wouldn't. And therefore, how many hours do you have to do for most people to get as good as they can get? Oh, there's a question. 
I mean, it's probably, you know, it's probably over six hours, but maybe not a lot for some. Maybe, you know, maybe the threshold is as low as eight. But it might be six to eight hours at the lower end. And for some people, certainly doing the, the Ironman, they've probably got to do something at least in the 12 to 14 range, maybe a bit further than that. But that's kind of quite a big spectrum. And yet it doesn't mean that if you're at the higher end of that all the time, you'll be better than somebody at the lower end. Because unless there is a f purpose to the training that you do and you've adapted, you could just be doing loads of training one after the other and find that the accumulation of the training effect isn't happening. You're doing lots of training, but that's not the point where you're doing it. You're not doing it to do lots of training. You're doing the training to say, has a positive improvement in my fitness popped out the other end yet? No. Okay, are you doing enough training? And in most people's cases, it probably is. Yes, you are. Okay, you are doing that. Um, a, a, another chap, um, won't say his name, but earlier he's like, this is brilliant. He said, compared to the winter where I got ill, he said, this is just great. It's going really, really well. I'm just feeling really, really good. And I think off the top of my head, he's had a few 10-hour weeks. And he said, oh, really looking forward to adaptation next week because you know, I feel really fit, but I just I just can't wait to like, you know, ease back off because it's just, it's a, it's a slog, but I'm feeling so much fitter than what I have before. And it's one of those realisations that um, we've got him to that point where he can get that amount done. But it's the fact that he can see improvements that's most important. Not just, wow, you survived that week. Oh, let's see if we can <laughs> do another. Yeah, it's like, surviving. can we see adaptation? Because the adaptation may have nothing to do with whether you do the training. It's popped up before that it's got more to do with somebody's sleep or their stress or their diet or the fact that they're, um, they've got... Uh, massively high cortisol they've got things that doesn't matter what you do training wise if the if there's something else wrong you won't get better if you just say no no no, 10 hours won't do it i've got to do 14 and and people i think always think everyone out there is doing more than me so of course there's this just idea that oh, if i'm not doing at least 15 hours i know people that do ironman they do 15 hours and it's like yeah but they're different they could be half your age they could be doing half the work you do therefore they've got more days off they could be you know um just genetically gifted to be able to do this and they've done it for years and how much you need to do um doug in terms of rest days probably depends on how you feel but it's certainly not the worst thing to do not unless there's six of them and you're trying to add the seventh because <laughs> that's called that's called a that's called an absolute week off that's a holiday that's a holiday but it it questions what people are doing and i think it ties in nicely with the periodization it ties in um uh nicely um with the uh, the earlier questions um particularly the uh, uh the question from Chris. mike um because it all like stems together without me even realizing all these different questions have come there's there's a lot to do with knowing what your bigger picture is where you want to be how much you've got a plan the fact there is an off season that you'll go downhill a little bit and you're not trying to be peak fitness but just that we are all trying to look at what's your particular numbers of adaptation there are certainly quite a few rules that seem to follow over various systems i guess because we're you know fundamentally the, the same human system some people take a bit more some people are slightly better aerobically but you can't really break all the rules and get away with it and rest days do crop up and if somebody's confident in their methods, and you said it earlier, 
you can happily have a rest day because like what so i go backwards if i don't train no please get that out of your head you don't just get better by the fact you've just caught the session from the day before and you're carrying on you know well same as the line of thinking that the more training you do the the faster and fitter you'll be Hmm. you know without without rest days you know you you just you just go in and smashing your head against a brick wall to mm. a certain point. Yeah. So, yeah, don't ever be guilty, but just have confidence in what you've done so far. Yeah. Is the rest day or the adaption day is your is your right to have a, a lazy day. Mm. And feel guilty. Mm. I quite I feel guilty all the time when I have a rest day, but adaption day. Adaption um, <laughs> But you soon get over that once there's cycling on the telly and I can sit there for six hours. <laughs> yeah. But if, you know, somebody who's a duathlete or a sporty rider or time trials, what they have as... as Adaptation days are slightly different because um, a time trialist might not want to sit back on their TT bike, but they might want to go off and just spin on a road bike and chat away. A duathlete probably is not a good idea after a really hard week to go off and do a steady recovery run because there's no such thing. A mountain biker might be beat up from an off-road race and they really don't want to go off-road again for four days. So they might recover by going swimming. And so every individual might have to have a, a different, almost almost like a menu of what is recovery. Active recovery might be doing something completely different, like going in a nice warm swimming pool and going up and down and thinking, I don't, I don't swim, but I just do a bit of this. It, it could be just going to have a sauna. It might be having a sports massage. It might actually be doing something where uh, the... The onus is on you trying to circulate blood, but not really, not really um, do anything more than that and check how do my muscles feel. Because the rest day is a bit of a spanner in the works if you've been used to getting endorphins. And sometimes the rest day makes people feel a bit uneasy. So they have to do a little bit of exercise. But after a while, you're like, no, you can stop exercising. Because unless unless you are in a very strange scenario, you're going to have to walk around on your legs, and you're probably going to have to um, you know go up and down stairs and do this and do that. So the the rest is never there. Therefore, you're adapting to training, but not making it any worse. But you certainly cannot stop entirely. Um, I was saying earlier to a chap, I said I, I worked with a, a pro athlete, and he always always had Mondays off and just sat there and lounged around and, and literally did nothing, but did over thirty hours in the remaining six days of the week. And the thing was, was that was that was required. You couldn't train on the Monday because you're too tired from the week before. And if you don't ever take a non-training day, you don't know what sometimes rested is because you just got so used to being just being tired, being tired, or, or, or sore, yeah, being tired right, or sore. Yeah. But great, a great set of questions. They've all come in at just the right time. Andrews came in uh, by email. Um, the others came in by uh, by um, tweet and email. So thank you for that. That's been really good. Um, I think we're at that point where we say, um, give us your reviews, give us your uh, questions, whatever your sport. The key with right now is we're at that turning point. You know, we've come out of winter, we're heading towards the season, whether you've got a pack season, an Ironman, several sportives, some mountain biking, starting road racing, getting into running, whatever it is, we're now at a good cusp. It's a nice time to be um, looking forward. Nice time to be fit, healthy and alive. Fit, healthy and alive, absolutely. So follow um, at Coach Joe Beer Twitter feed and at Southport Racing as well. Thanks for listening. Send us your questions. Remember, train smart. Be safe. And have fun. <laughs> <laughs>